Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Oh, Jamie, I dropped my earring down the sink. Can you reach into my drain and get it out? Um... Yes, I'm assuming that's why you hired me to come here is to remove things from your drain. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. And if you need to keep reaching into my drain over and over, would you like to have <laughs> sex? Is that what you're saying? Because these metaphors are getting exhausting for me. Yeah. Gina Gershon. <laughs> yeah. And, and me Jennifer Tilly. Oh my God, Jennifer. <laughs> I get it. Okay, let's have sex. I would like to fuck. I would Great. Like to fuck. Wow. <laughs> oh, that is actually an iconic Jennifer Tilly impression. Congratulations. I felt like I wasn't doing a very good job, but thank you. I felt like you captured the spirit. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I think it was great. <laughs> Um, well, I think that was our best intro in truly many moons. Uh, years. <laughs> years. Years. <laughs> years. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our podcast where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate a larger sure. conversation. The Bechtel test being yeah. a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test, mm -hmm. in which our version requires that two people of a marginalized gender have names, they speak to each other, and their conversation has to be about something other than a man for like a two or more line exchange of dialogue. And hopefully that conversation is narratively impactful. Right. Uh, this is, I mean, first of all, you really took control of the <laughs> intro there. And I really thought oh. it was powerful and exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> and 
Yeah. And, and in the case of this movie, I really don't think we're going to be having um, many issues Mm-mm. as it pertains to the Bechtel test. However, we have a great conversation ahead because today we are covering the Wachowski sisters classic. They're, uh, I believe their first, their first co-directed first feature together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bound 1996 starring impressionized incredibly by Caitlin and myself, Jennifer <laughs> Tilly and Gina Gershon, as well as Joey mm-hmm. pants amongst a couple of other people. Christopher Maloney is in the damn movie. Christopher Maloney is in the <sighs> damn movie. And that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We have we we have so recovery bound, and we have an incredible returning guest who I believe in text in our last episode wanted to cover this movie. Absolutely, yes. I think I might have been on it. I might have immolated myself if it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> I love this movie so much with every pore of my being, and I've wanted a reason to like talk about it. <laughs> well, the here day it is. is- And let's introduce you properly. Um, Our guest today is a comedian and host of the Kicking and Screaming podcast. You remember her from our episodes on Made in Manhattan, (laughs) Raw, and Atomic Blonde. It's Vanessa Guerrero. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. I love that this all started with a rom-com episode in which... uh, I had a four loco because Jamie had one and then I got drunker than I've ever been in my whole life. Oh no. I clearly, well, I wouldn't say I clearly remember that. I definitely remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember sitting up and being like, oh shit. <laughs> Even like um, hearing the list of movies you've covered with us in the past is such a delight because it really just, we've covered so much ground. Yeah. And we're only expanding upon that ground today with Bound. Oh my gosh, Bound. What is your relationship, your history with the film Bound, Vanessa? So there were like a couple movies that I would see on IFC really late night as a kid Mm -hmm. that were like, oh my God, this is horny and gay. And Mm -hmm. this is very much like awakening something in me in ways that I can't quite unpack yet. They're mine. Uh And it was like this and But I'm a Cheerleader. It It was usually like one or the other. And Bound blew my mind because it took the shape of so many things that I like and I had seen before. Like, it took every neo-noir, Marlon Brando-ass, like, someone in a tank top brooding in dark (laughs) alleys that I've seen a million times, but put it into this, like, almost comic book perspective that just so happened to star two of the hottest women I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Truly. I... I did that thing where when you want someone, you try and take on their personality. So I was constantly swinging in between like hyper femme and mask presentations. Mm -hmm. Bound definitely like I I experienced a lot of like euphoria with this movie. And it made me love the Wachowski so much that I watched everything that they had ever made except for the Matrix because I was scared that it wouldn't live up to it. And I didn't watch The Matrix until I was like 27. I love it. I love it. I saw it 12 times in one week. I mean, look, some wow. people watched it later. Some people watched it later than that. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love all of that. Um, uh, Jamie, what's your relationship with Bound? 
Um, I didn't think I had much of a relationship with it. And then as I was, so I had not seen this movie in full before until preparing for this episode. However, mm -hmm. I realized as I was watching it that it's so funny that you mentioned IFC and I'm assuming the like late-ish aughts, Vanessa, because <laughs> I think I've mentioned this on the show before. My dad was like a big time, like when he was done with work for the night, and like the rest of the family was asleep, he would watch IFC movies like no one's business. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you walk in and your parent watching an IFC late night movie, it's uncomfortable. And so I do <laughs> yeah. remember clearly one night in a movie that I now realize was bound, uh -huh. um, <laughs> walking downstairs, passing my dad at the TV to get to the kitchen to get a glass of water and being like, Michael, what are you watching? Because it was a scene of Gina Kershaw and Jennifer Tilly of making sweet love to each other. And he was like, mm -hmm. it's an IFC movie. Relax. Because <laughs> Mike Loftus is the king of punk and always has been, always will be. Mm -hmm. But I remember at the time being scandalized by what my father was watching on probably a Tuesday. <laughs> and then as I was watching this movie that I Real, I've now watched three times and I've really, really come to like, I can't wait to talk about it because it's so mm. fucking good. And like, not only like incredible for its time, but incredible for like right now watching it today shows so much about like what's to come in the Wachowski sisters filmography. Like it just is so good. But also I saw my dad watching it in high school and I was like, oh, <laughs> um, that's my whole history with it. I love it. I'm excited to talk about it. Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? I had never seen any part of this movie. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not even late <laughs> on a Tuesday? <laughs> no. But it was on my, it's been on my radar forever. It's been on my list of things to watch forever. I just had not gotten around to it. So this episode was the perfect excuse. I've seen it, I think, four times now in the past, like, two weeks. Yeah. It is, this movie <laughs> fucking rules. Like, I it does, am yeah. sad that I slept on it for so long. But, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about it. I kind of don't have a bad thing to say about it. It's all good stuff. It's tip to tail perfect. <laughs> It's kind of a perfect movie. Should I recap it? Yeah, let's recap it. Why not? Oh, sorry. I was just trying to figure out. There's a character played by Kevin M. Richardson. He's only credited as cop number two, but I immediately recognized his voice. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> who is this man? Wait, who is this man? So he is the cop that is peeing in the toilet while there's blood. While there's oh, a guy yeah. in dead in the tub. And his voice, like, I don't know, I just, I, I'm such like, a, I'm so animation pilled. I'm like, I know this man's voice. <laughs> it turns out he is an iconic voice actor. And he plays a character in the Lilo and Stitch franchise named Captain Gontu. True. Oh so. my God. That's why his voice was familiar to me. Right? He's been in a time, I mean, you could recognize his voice from any, you know, wild amount of things, but I definitely was like, oh, yeah. And then he was like in subsequently low and stitch stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. I feel so much better. It's such a relief when you hear someone's voice and then you can connect it to a cartoon character <laughs> for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. My brain's like, oh, cool. They're real. I get to ground them in reality. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. You're like, that is Captain Gantu, isn't it? <laughs> Anyways. Okay. The movie bound. Sorry. The movie bound. Here, here it comes. Okay. So Violet, that's Jennifer Tilly, 
and her husband her husband <laughs> or maybe boyfriend i don't know if they're married or just like partnered um yeah don't put them in a box i'm so sorry this toxic relationship could be anything it could be anything you're right it's like a symbiotic toxic relation well a one way someone's surviving and then the other person's a piece of shit it's almost as if she's kind of like bound to him but not because she wants to be oh yes wow bound. there's so much binding in this movie sexy and otherwise mm-hmm. his name is caesar that's joe pantaleano aka joey pants they get into an elevator with corky that's gina gershon violet and corky make eyes at each other then violet and caesar go into their condo while Corky goes into the unit next door, she's there to do repairs and fix up the place. Also, quick shout out to the uh, score of this movie by someone named Don Ooh. Davis. Because anytime, anytime Corky and Violet are in an enclosed space together, it's well, in the elevator, it's something like, like it's like a very, like, it's very 90s sexy music. Yeah. It's- that like making out in the rain to like an evanescent song horny <laughs> it it's very stylized horny i appreciate it i'm like no need to play subtle here the score was written by don davis as you said he also wrote the score for the matrix and you can there's a lot of similarities between when like i was watching bound and i was like oh my gosh this sounds very similar to the score of the matrix i agree and and okay one more don davis fact and then <laughs> we will return so i i feel like this tv series that only i have seen has come up an absurd amount of times on this show is it the beauty and the beast yes it's the ron perlman <laughs> <laughs> the ron perlman linda hamilton uh beauty and the beast series he also scored that and you can also hear that it, you can hear the echoes the foundation of the Bound soundtrack. I feel like if we ever end up covering TV track. on this show, the Bound track, if you will. <laughs> if you if we ever end up covering TV shows, Linda Hamilton, Ron Perlman, Beauty and the Beast, it's canon. It's just like, yeah. if not good, at least funny. I What if we pivot for like a few months and just do a spinoff series and just cover that? Also, Don Davis did music on recent covered movie Casper. Oh my. Oh my god. The music in that makes me think like it's fall. Aww. Right? <laughs> it's so like so he sometimes is like riding on James Horner's pegs, if you will, to put this yeah. in a middle school. Like he sometimes is the the assistant to James Horner. Mm. So you know, shout out to Don Davis for giving us a a sexy elevator um upright bass pluck vibe. I appreciated it. Love it. Love it. Um, okay, so Corky and Violet have encountered each other in the elevator. Then Violet comes over to the unit Corky's in and introduces herself to Corky, brings her a cup of coffee, they chat. Mm. It is very horny and seductive. I assumed you liked it. Like, <laughs> I assumed you liked your coffee black. Good guess. You're like, oh, fuck. And then she's like, it's so cool that you can fix things. But these walls are so thin. So could you just wait a while until you start using your tools? Because I'm a night person. They're both dressed like the hottest girls in Silver Lake. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, that is very much their vibe where it's like, I like these women. I don't know if I could hang out with them. I'm threatened by them. I am 
deeply intimidated by them. I think they would hate me. I think they would absolutely hate me, but I admire them from a distance. I I would be sitting across the bar from them like, wow, how cool. And then they would look at me. They're here. Right. Thrilled for them. Not going to, uh, you know, roll the dice on whether they would want to talk to me or not. They don't. <laughs> hey, you never know. But Corky, Corky's playing it cool. And she's just like, yeah, whatever. I'll hold off on using my like drain snake or whatever. Uh, and then she's like, by the way, I drive a truck and I talk about her truck for a while. Uh, then Corky goes to a lesbian bar we learn that she is an ex-con who recently spent five years in prison. She's a professional thief. Then Corky goes over to Violet's place to fish out a piece of jewelry that Violet accidentally, quote unquote, dropped down the sink. You can tell it wasn't on purpose because of the upright bass music that continues throughout the scene. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's my brilliant observation about this. So we just covered Imagine Me and You. And there's a scene mm-hmm. in that movie where one woman needs the help of another woman to fish a piece of jewelry out of a punch bowl. And that is the it's catalyst oh, I love that movie. to get them to like start getting to know each other and eventually get together and kiss and that's the same thing that happens in this movie wait vanessa you've seen imagine me and you yes um riley Mm. silverman told me to watch it one holiday when i said there isn't enough gay rom-coms um and i she basically like live texted me through it as i had my experience with it the first time and lost my mind (laughs) oh i love it i was like in a hallmark mood and i was like i want something hallmark i just want anybody other than this like configuration that I always see kissing to kiss mm-hmm. and I got it's it's almost like what I get out of bound where it's like I want pulp but I want it I, I want two girls to kiss in like a sweet rom com way yeah exactly yeah this this truly is oh god I mean in the way like imagine me and you we recently covered on the show and it's such a blast and like even more so than that movie I feel like bound delivers on like a great genre like the mafia heisty thriller kind of movie without any of the baggage that usually comes with that genre and so you can just watch it yes and have an amazing time which mm-hmm. is all I've ever wanted <laughs> exactly uh, okay so Corky goes over to fish this piece of jewelry out of the sink then Violet offers her a drink she's being very seductive again And then she's like, by the way, I'm trying to seduce you. And (laughs) she puts Corky's hand between her legs and they start kissing. It's getting very hot and steamy. But then Caesar comes home and interrupts, but he doesn't see them. And they have a quick conversation and we gather that Caesar is in the mob. Then Violet goes to Corky later that night or sometime later. They kiss again. They go back to Corky's place and have sex. And boy, do they. Oh, <laughs> they have sex in a continuous shot. Mm-hmm. That sex scene was choreographed by Susie Bright. Yes. Yes. And it's so amazing watching it even now in terms of like how how I haven't quite seen anything like it. Because even when I see lesbian sex on cameras, it tends to always have this like 
heteronormative angle of like being like, well, this one does this and this other one does this. And I was watching it with a friend of mine um, who is 25 and she's a lesbian and she's never seen this movie before. hadn't even heard of it. And she was like, I have never, ever, not even in porn, see a femme be the one that's doing something to the mask one. Mm. Right. It's always presented in that like very hetero sense of like, yeah, the mask is always the one that tops. Right. Mm. And so she had never, ever, not even in porn, like seen this perspective of what is so much closer to like a common experience right. seeing someone at that age watch it for the first time and realize they still don't have something like that Susie Bright thank you yeah <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that later Susie Bright she's a legend yeah that that scene in general I like I feel like it true it wasn't till the second viewing that that even registered for me because it is so effortless in the way the storytelling is but you're like yeah you never see a femme top especially in like a bigger movie in the way that this was like Mm -hmm. I just was oh what a this movie like subverts so much in a way that is so effortless that you don't you may not even necessarily notice it on the first time because the first time I was just so thrilled to see them fucking um, (laughs) that it took me to the second viewing to be like oh right this was actually like not the most obvious way that this scene would be staged mm-hmm. on the part of of Susie Bright and the Wachowskis. Like, it's just, ugh, this movie is amazing. It's great. Okay, so the next day, Corky sees this guy named Shelly go into Violet's condo, and then Corky hears them have sex through the walls. <laughs> then the next time Corky and Violet see each other, Corky confronts Violet about having sex with this guy with men in general kind of calls her a fraud but violet is like that wasn't sex that was work and then they have a kind of an argument slash discussion about it and then they part on kind of bad terms mm-hmm. then corky sees a handful of mobsters bring that guy shelly into violet and caesar's place one of these mobsters is johnny aka christopher maloney mm-hmm. another is this guy named mickey and Caesar and the other mob boys start beating the shit out of Shelly. A lot of wise guy types. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Shelly apparently stole money from the mob boss. So they start chopping his fingers off, trying to get him to tell them where the money is. Meanwhile, Violet goes to Corky and confides in her that she can't do this anymore. She can't be with Caesar. She can't be around all this violence. She wants out. She wants a new life. And she needs Corky's help to get out of this situation. So they start to devise a plan. They are going to steal the $2 million that Shelly had stolen from the mob boss. But Corky isn't sure that she can trust Violet not to set her up. But they decide to trust each other and move forward with the plan, which is, so the mob boss, Gino Marzoni, is supposed to come and pick up the money. (laughs) Generic Italian name. (laughs) Right. You're like, yep, uh uh-huh, sure, Uh great. Yep, yep, yep. So he's supposed to come and pick up the money from Caesar at his and Violet's condo, along with his son, who is Johnny, a.k.a. Christopher Maloney. But Corky's going to sneak in and steal the money while Caesar is in the shower before Gino and company show up. And then Violet is going to convince Caesar that Johnny must have come in and stolen the money. 
when she w- goes out to buy scotch because she like fake breaks this bottle of scotch. I love that whole like how many it's like not even how many queer tropes are like shattered in this movie. It's just like film noir tropes in general where it's mm. like in so many scenes Violet is playing the part of like the typical like mobster's girlfriend who you see in the background of scenes but never has any agency and is always like oh no what's happening and like even he is like Joey Pants is trying to cast her in that role but she will not be cast in that role mm-hmm. yeah it reminded me of the scene where I don't remember the guy's name but in Double Indemnity when mm-hmm. the guy is like here's the plan we're gonna double indemnity his ass and (laughs) that's what happens (laughs) but then and in this movie it's quirky laying out this whole like carefully orchestrated plan she's in control it's so great i love it so this plan should work with violet convincing caesar that johnny stole the money it should work because we learn that johnny is kind of a loose cannon and might do something wild like this and that johnny and caesar hate each other so it would stand to reason that johnny would want to fuck over caesar Mm -hmm. so with caesar convinced that johnny screwed him over and took the money he will have no choice but to run because otherwise gino will kill him for stealing his money And then Caesar running will make him seem guilty, which takes away any suspicion from Violet and Corky being the culprits. Right. So the plan goes off without a hitch to start until Violet tries to get away from Caesar. He holds her at gunpoint and won't let her leave because his plan is... When Gino and Johnny arrive to collect the money, which is no longer there because Corky came in and stole it. Right. Caesar is now going to expose Johnny as a thief to Gino by opening the case and showing him that the money is gone. But when this is happening, things escalate and Caesar ends up shooting and killing Gino and Johnny and some third guy that's there. IDK. But he kills them. I kept kind of forgetting that the third guy was there. And then every time it cut back to the third guy, I was like, oh, right. Oh, there's another dead guy. (laughs) Was he just like, did he just like hit the cutting room floor? Unfortunately, we don't. I don't really know that man. Shrug. But it really sucks what happened to him. (laughs) Poor unnamed random mobster dude. (laughs) R.A.P. So Caesar kills all these people, and if he can get rid of the bodies and get the money back, he can pretend like this never happened, basically. But then the cops show up, and Violet has to stall them while Caesar hides the bodies and cleans up all the blood. Meanwhile, Corky is waiting next door while all of this is happening. She's listening through the walls and just kind of like keeping an ear on things. Then Caesar takes Violet and they go to Johnny's place to find the money, which of course he can't because it's not there. Mm -hmm. So Caesar realizes he has to dump the bodies and run. But then Caesar catches Violet making a call to Corky and he figures out that she's next door and he realizes that something fishy is going on. So he goes over and kidnaps Corky. He ties her up. She's bound (gasps) okay just like in the beginning of the movie just that's the name of the movie hold on (laughs) but but also but also it's almost as if 
Violet and Corky are bound to each other in like a good way. So many biting. <laughs> it makes you think. Yeah. So Caesar is beating and threatening Corky and Violet. Corky reveals that the money is next door in bags hidden in buckets of paint. Joey buckets of paint, one could even say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, then Caesar has that guy Mickey come over so that Caesar can convince him that Gino and Johnny never showed up to buy him some time or something. And then Mickey's about to open the briefcase that is, again, full of newspapers now. But Violet calls Caesar pretending to be Gino, feeding him lines that Gino was in a car accident. So basically she like saves his ass because she is trying to make a deal with him where they split the money and then walk away. Mm-hmm. Mickey leaves to go to the hospital where he thinks Gino is. And then Caesar goes next door to get the money, leaving Violet a chance to escape. So she's running away. Caesar's chasing after her. Meanwhile, Corky gets loose from her restraints and goes and grabs the money. Mm-hmm. Caesar shows back up. There's a scuffle between all of them. And then Violet shoots the shit out of Caesar. He lands in the paint. Okay, and now I'm back. Because it was like, <sighs> it was honestly helpful for you to like talk me through a lot of the the mafia ins and outs of that scene because I've seen this movie three times now and every single time I'm like, okay, 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 okay. (laughs) When are they going to be back together? Right. Like I'm just sort of, I register that there are various guys, wise guys making various negotiations and (laughs) shooting and dying Mm -hmm. and there's risk and there's tension, but I'm like, okay, but if they die, then other ones, Right, right. Right. And you're like, who is the third guy? I like <laughs> I understand that there's filmmaking taking place in front of me, but I am just sort of like when are our gals going when to are the be gals reunited? Kiss again. We need the gals to get unbound for me to really feel <laughs> invested in the movie again. Sure. And I trust that we will get there, but even the first time watching it, I was like, okay, I'm not going to remember these characters' names. I know everyone's doing a great job, but I need some of these men to die so that I can get to the part that's interesting to me. Sure, sure. So we're back. We're back at the part that's interesting to me. And then we get the big climax where Violet shoots Caesar. He lands in the paint that's been spilled everywhere. His blood is mixing with the paint. It's very cathartic. It's very metaphorical. You're like, oh, mm. the color, oh, innocence the color okay this is based on several essays i've read i did not get here on my own oh the color oh what? yeah Bill the innocent higher day oh he's bleeding into her innocence and he never thought and blah you know yeah. there are many writers who contributed to that intelligent comment i just made i am not one of them but it was a metaphor apparently a- this is also how i had to figure out the matrix i'm like there were a lot of metaphors in there that were simply above my pay grade And then when I read them, I was like, huh, that makes sense. Yeah, I know the Christ one. And if it goes above the Christ one, I can't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If we're not on just a straightforward hero's journey, I am lost in the woods, honey. And I can accept that about myself. And look, not everyone on Reddit's going to like it. And that's fine. Um, But in this case, in this case, it was like, okay, Wachowski's way smarter than me. Mm. I, I read it. It made sense to me. And I was like, okay. I get it. Metaphor, let's get to kissing. <laughs> yes. And that's about to happen because Violet and yes. Corky run off together. 
Woohoo! Corky is like, hey, you know what the difference is between you and me? And Violet's like, no. And Corky's like, me either. And then they kiss and drive off in Corky's 1963 Chevy truck. The end. And we're like, hold on a second. Did we just get through a whole crime movie without burying a single gay? Unbelievable. And yet so many bodies. So many bodies. So many bodies, but they're all... Hetero bodies. Hetero men. (laughs) I just wanted to quickly shout out before we go to our break, Mm. the the tagline on the original poster of this movie, which I think is so beautiful. Sex and crime forever. I mean, (laughs) literally me shoplifting at CVS on the way to a one night stand. Exactly. Yes, (laughs) I get it. I am also a part of this movement. Okay, let's go to break. It's beautiful. Yes, let's take a break. We'll come right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu and we are back sex and crime forever am i right i mean sex and crime forever right some of our greatest minds have said it i might or some of our greatest minds ad departments have said it (laughs) i'm gonna get that tattooed on my body okay yes uh where shall we start oh man there's so much (laughs) there's so there's so much i'll just start by saying this is one of the horniest (laughs) queerest and most sex positive movies i've ever seen in my entire life so have either of you seen sense8 no it's on my list no i have not i haven't gotten to it sense8 is basically the wachowski sisters doing this for several seasons 
mm. with as many different bodies as possible because they found a way to do how do I make they did a mind orgy um <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> sounds like them sounds like them like eight people connecting mentally all having a mental mind orgy that all nut at the same time <laughs> oh, the Wachowski yes. sisters are very very horny but also they love anime they love Akira they love Ghost in the Shell so what you get is this mix of like hyper stylized gleeful sex scenes shot like it's an action movie mm. <laughs> and like oh, makes me so happy and bound are the two properties in which they're just like everyone should be fucking this is our message this is our credence <laughs> everyone should be fucking oh and it works and i do it so well because right this is like this is a very horny movie it's a very queer movie it's a very sex positive movie and it's also about two women being absolute badasses in a way that feels extremely earned in a way that fucking rules Mm -hmm. in a way that like this is a movie about two queer women one who needs to get out of a toxic situation she's trapped in because of a man Mm -hmm. and they help each other out and they trust each other and they lift each other up and they run away together and it's a happy uplifting ending and it fucking rocks something i really love about this movie is how much they made manipulation kind of like a one-two punch in these women's tool belts in a way that isn't usually viewed in a certain type of way in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And this isn't me going like, manipulation, good. But the thing is, when you live on the fringes of society, you get very good at one thing, and that's looking at society and figuring out how it works. And when you don't have any power, that's kind of the thing that you learn how to operate with. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. There's always that quote that goes like, oh, well, if the man is the head of the household, the women are the neck. But like they take this thing that was imposed on them and then that's the thing that they free themselves with. And usually when manipulation is portrayed in women, it's like they're going to be extra punished for this. Like they're going to be extra hurt for this or like no matter what, even if they're escaping something, they're still a villain. And in this, it's mm-hmm. like this is a skill that they developed based on the positions that they were put in mm-hmm. as like a sex worker and a lesbian. They know how society works because they're constantly watching it from outside in and hearing people operate thinking that they're not listening. And mm-hmm. this is like the knife they cut through that with. I. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it is like I speaking to like what, what you're it's like they're using societal expect like a an acute knowledge of what society is like because they've been subjected to so much to manipulate like what people expect from them and i feel like in violet that comes and and the fact that the wachowskis use that and also are able to subvert so many specifically film noir tropes in the process of doing that yes. is so brilliant because it's not just speaking to queer tropes of the 90s even though so many queer tropes of the 90s and even now are <laughs> I sound like a fucking radio station so many queer tropes of the 90s aughts and today um, are subverted inside of this movie but it's also like done within the even more specific you know it's like w- with Violet you have so many femme fatale tropes that are subverted mm-hmm. while also making commentary on how queer women are perceived or or femme women specifically are perceived and then 
through Corky, you have how butch women are perceived, where immediately when Joey Pants comes in, he does not perceive Corky as the threat to his relationship that she very much is. Mm. And all of these like ways that Corky and Violet are able to turn people's assumptions about them that are based in either you know bigotry or naivete or somewhere in between yeah they're able to just levy it against them to get what they want which is essentially liberation from this entire situation and then they win it's just it's awesome (sighs) yeah and the subversions come from like everywhere because like you even have Corky fucking up at a certain point when it comes to like Violet's sex work and like Mm -hmm, she gets a little bit like you know sullen about it and implies you know that violet might like have her like heart into her in some way Mm -hmm. and violet very much implying like you have a job and so do i and like you don't get to act holier than thou with me about this right and i love that that moment was even there and that they had that moment together to where violet could like very safely tell someone like you don't understand what this is about and you're talking out of your ass right now. And the fact yeah. that Corky is able to like receive that criticism and course correct too. Cause that's something that yeah. I feel like if you put that same scenario in a hetero relationship, which we don't even need to go down that road really, but, but th- just the idea that they have enough respect for each other that when Violet pushes back and is like, no, that's not me and you are making assumptions about me that are not correct. Like Corky listens to that and it mm-hmm. does like take her a little bit to internalize it, but she internalizes it. And then she like begins to see Violet as the fuller person that she is and like the more complicated person that she is. And I feel like that kind of goes both ways where there's this trust between them yes. that is established pretty early in the movie that is like, you know, because it, I mean, even in, in any relationship, like being able to say to someone like, I understand why you're making that assumption about me, but you're fucking wrong. And like, <laughs> listen to me and to have the other person hear you and understand that, like that is such a powerful bond in any relationship. And to see that like established between the two of them is so awesome. And you're like, yeah, of course I want these two together. <laughs> like, right. oh. Yeah, this is like a rare example of a movie where it centers on a romantic relationship that I am rooting for and that like I understand why like like trust being such a through line and when they're on opposite sides of the wall, you're just like, oh my yeah. gosh, fuck me um, up, dude. <laughs> like it's just so good. And how much of the plan hinges on being like I need to, I, I just have to trust that you're not going to hurt me. Yeah. Right. And they do it. And then they both, in a way that like, again, is very much a subversion of film noir, neo-noir, the whole femme fatale thing. I think this movie does something really interesting in that both characters are presented as like, you know, you're familiar with this femme fatale trope. Maybe here's two femme fatales, or maybe you don't know which one's which, and maybe maybe it's both, but it ends up being neither because neither of them are untrustworthy. Neither of them are like these like scheming seductresses. They are like mutually into each other and like not well, see, deceiving each other. 
I would argue that like in some ways Violet fulfills the femme fatale trope as we know it because she does turn on quote unquote the man she's with she turns yeah. on Caesar true but like Whoa. there's a whole like so I feel like it's like 4D chess that we get a treat into here because in some ways as Violet is presented she does kind of tick most of the boxes of the femme fatale trope. She is lying to the character who Caesar traditionally in a film noir. She is robbing him. She is. She's robbing him. She is lying to him. She turns on him and she kills him. Right. But unlike every film noir we've seen, Caesar is not the protagonist and he is not the person we're rooting for. Exactly. And, I mean, it's like it's it's not even that we don't totally give a shit when he died because it wasn't like I didn't feel nothing when Caesar died. And we can get to this where it's like I feel like Caesar's character addresses film noir and like mafioso masculinity in a way that I thought was pretty effective. Yeah. So it wasn't that I felt nothing when he died, but it was just like from the very beginning, you know, when Caesar's on screen, we're not getting that upright base, baby. Like, we're not rooting for him. We're rooting for Corky and Violet and them as individuals and also for their love, which I also feel like is so rare in any movie. Like, you're rooting for them as two individuals, and then you're also rooting for them as a couple that really, really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about the the framing and how this movie frames things very differently than we're used to in a very cool, refreshing way. We were talking about this scene in which Corky, I feel like, exemplifies an attitude that was very common in the 90s and before and after for a number of years. The movie doesn't come right out and say it, but it's sort of this idea about like, oh pick a lane what is this whole bisexuality thing if you're having sex with men you're a traitor you're not a real lesbian Mm -hmm. because you're out here having sex with men violet immediately challenges that in a way that i found very unexpected for a character to challenge that mentality in a movie from the 90s and she's like look i know who i am i don't need to have it tattooed on my arm Also, what I'm doing is work. It's just work. And this is also one of the very few movies I've seen that makes a statement about sex work being work. And just that. (laughs) Right. Right. Because Violet's like, well, I heard you having sex with Shelly. And she's like, that wasn't sex. That was me working. Yeah. Even the tattoo remark is like, yeah, I'm femme. I'm still a lesbian. Like, (laughs) Which in 1996, like it's in 1996 is like wild. And even in 2022, you, you still get like that clarity you don't get very often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a scene where Violet gets into Corky's truck. I love any scene in the truck. Um, she gets in, she's like, I want to apologize. And Corky's like, "Ugh, one thing I can't stand is women apologizing for wanting sex. And Violet's like, I'm not apologizing for that. I'm not apologizing for what I did. Cause this is like after they like finger bang each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm apologizing for what I didn't do. And it's and like, we're like, Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, like incredibly sex positive, moment in this movie from 1996 and I I like 
I kept being so floored by different interactions and different scenarios that happened in this movie because I was like, oh, this is this is so cool. Um, and we had brought up Susie Bright as being the choreographer of the sex scenes in this movie. So the way that kind of panned out is that the Wachowski sisters sent Susie Bright the script yeah, and was basically like, we want you to play a cameo in this or like be an extra in this. Are you interested? And Susie Bright loved the script partly because it was about women who just like were extremely unapologetic about having sex and enjoying sex specifically with each other. But she was like, but there isn't enough like description in these sex scenes. Like I, I can't visualize what they would look like. So then she offered to be the like consultant for the film and then they hired her to like be the choreographer and she's like a a, was already like a feminist sex educator so she got brought on to choreograph the sex scenes which is why they are extremely horny but also like very tasteful and like non-exploitative which is something that we've come upon in various sex scenes between women like blue is the warmest color exactly yes and it's like i mean in general even the concept of an intimacy consultant in a romance scene between any people in 1996 was just like not something that was done and i feel like we've covered on this show unfortunately so many at least extreme actor discomfort and at worst like crimes and like mm-hmm. crimes and misdemeanors uh sex and crimes sex if you will uh, uh n- but not forever D- don't do it but yeah <laughs> right of actors who were made to feel very uncomfortable in sex scenes in movies because you know any director of intimacy was not appointed in order to make the movie and so the fact that like the wachowskis had a not just an intimacy um, coordinator but someone who is very enthusiastic about their work someone who was like really down to be involved like again just a very ahead of its time like even 10 years ago if you asked me about what an intimacy coordinator was I could not tell you I would not have known Mm -hmm. yeah and like even on my end I've done like a few sketches and things where I like have a piece of comedy where I'm like making out with someone or I have like a simulated mm-hmm. sex scene and it's it's comedy it's like being played for comedy mm-hmm. but even then I have somebody like touching me in a way that I'm like not used to because in general I'm like even like I hug you if I know you so I tend to keep like an arm's reach kind of person and mm-hmm. there's this like assumed comfort that's supposed to be there and when there isn't there isn't really that like Nobody really has the words for like, yo, can we like slow this down and talk about how we're about to make out and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like, right. <laughs> and it's one of those where you don't even really think about it in like a comedy aspect until you're in it and you're like, why isn't there something for all of this? Like, even if it wasn't sex, just having somebody like up on me, it would just be really nice to like be able to talk about this with someone and when you read there's this incredible interview where Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly are talking years later and they're like verbally pawing at each other it's fantastic highly (laughs) recommend reading at it Mm -hmm. but they talk about that sex scene and they're like shooting with the Wachowskis in that moment it was more like sports than sex Mm -hmm. they're like Mm -hmm. zero percent felt like sex because they were moving around us being like 
uh, boob up here, hand here, move this way, shift this way, up towards the light, please. Like, they were like, it was so... It was like a bop it. Clinical. <laughs> yes. They were like, it was choreographed, almost like it was a fight scene, to the point where they were like, we were working. Like, there was nothing horny about it. We were just at work following these, like, directions with, like, a team that had making sure it looked good in our well-beings in mind. And Which you would is, never know that, like, watching know, it. Because it's so horny. Yeah. Like, it, it it really is, like, just, I feel, and, and, and it, it was so nice to read interviews with the actors at the time and years later speaking to how comfortable they were. Because as far as we know, I mean, these are two straight women. I haven't read otherwise. I don't want to put them in a box, but that's what I, mm. you know, what I know of them. Mm-hmm. And, and for, you know, a- actors to be acting, you know, technically outside of their comfort zone in a way that they were made to feel safe and it's authentic. And there was a consultant involved and the consultant involved happens to be an iconic feminist socialist like i just don't know what i would be more on board with (laughs) right yeah see right so cool and she also has a really fun cameo in the movie as well yes that incredible bar yes like she and she and i feel like she really owned the part too i I would not have guessed that she was not a uh not an actor by trade i was like oh you're a genius by trade you're an actor on the side good for you (laughs) So shout out to Susie Bright. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was just like generally so awesome. There was one thing I, I wanted to touch on before we totally went out of film noir where I, I was curious what the two of you thought about this. But I felt like in the world of film noir, Jennifer Tilly is playing on the trope of femme fatale. And it almost seems like Corky is playing on the trope of detective. I feel like we're given a few different indications that that might be the case. First of all, because she's constantly listening through walls. Um, (laughs) She... She has a unique trade that causes her to show up places constantly. She picks locks. Mm-hmm. She picks locks. She has a criminal background. We know that she has been, you know, in prison for five years prior to the movie beginning for quote the redistribution of wealth. Right, and you're uh, like, okay, Susie Bright, I see like, you in there. Hell Ugh. yeah. And then on top of that, there's also it felt very film noiry that she had had like a partner slash lover who had burned her in the past. Like it all felt very Mm. quirky as playing on who we would traditionally see as the film noir protagonist. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Played on in her character. It's so much Gina Gershon's intention as well. It's so much what Gina Gershon (sighs) wanted to bring to that character because I'm not sure if y'all know this, but Gina Gershon fired her management team because they didn't want her to do this movie. I did not know that. Whoa, that's amazing. Her agents were like, do not do this movie. It will tank. You will never work again. And she was like, I will never get another part like this. I will never get another part like this. Because she read it and she was like, like, this is my chance to watch a bunch of Marlon Brando, to watch a bunch of James Dean. I think she said Clint Eastwood was her other one. And she watched like every brooding, mysterious leading man movie and was like, I'm just doing that. And before sex scenes, she would just do push-ups to try and, like, make her arms look as ripped as possible 
or like anything it worked like, baby <laughs> it worked. she would like just start like working out right before that because she wanted like her forearms to look super muscly like mm-hmm. she saw this script and was like i will never have an opportunity to be the hot leading guy ever again oh i love that and she's right like parts for women especially in this era were rarely the protagonist or co-protagonist of the movie they were rarely this badass or nuanced or thoughtfully written and it's wild because there were very few female actors interested in these two characters of violet and corky seemingly because they're queer characters and very few i don't know who was up for the part except for Linda Hamilton was originally Hamilton, considered yeah. and then another I, beauty in the beast <laughs> crossover. <laughs> but um Yet I don't I can't remember what I read about why she didn't end up playing Corky, but it I think it was more logistical. It yeah, was yeah. not like it wasn't like a, a moral objection kind of thing. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it was it was not that many people interested in these roles. But yeah, Gina Gershon jumped at the chance to be in this movie. And I'm so glad she did because I freaking love her as Corky. I have a good quote from Jennifer Tilly to this effect. Yes. um, Where she was talking about sort of exactly what you're talking about, how she was aware that many actors had refused these parts and was like kind of confused at it. And I think Jennifer Tilly's like history prior to this movie is also relevant to this because kind of what you were saying, Vanessa, where it was like, you know, Gina Gershon was well aware that like parts like this don't come around every day for anybody. Yeah. Especially women where it's like you get to be the fucking film noir action hero that also gets to kiss and fuck. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Where Jennifer Tilly had been very successful up to this point, but she'd been super typecast as kind of like an airhead kind of character yeah a lot because of her voice and so it was like this was her opportunity to play you know to I mean and she had been I think she'd been like nominated for and possibly won an Oscar which or no she was nominated for an Oscar Mm. in 1994 so like she was a proven actress but was typecast quite a bit because of how she looked and how she sounded Mm -hmm. so she said this when she was cast in Bound she said After I got the part, the Wachowski said to me, you would not believe how many actresses refused to come in and read for this. I was really surprised at that because actresses in Hollywood are always bitching and moaning about how there are no great parts for women. And here's two really strong female roles. To me, Mm -hmm. it just seemed silly. And then she goes on to say, I mean, and this is very 90s, but when she found out that she was playing a bi woman, she started reading Out magazine sure (laughs) um jennifer i know uh we love her and then she said uh one of my pet peeves about mainstream films where they have a gay relationship is that people think they're being amazingly liberal they say well we'll have these gay characters but they can't touch they can't show any affection or kiss each other or have any sex scenes like they would just naturally with a heterosexual relationship i just feel like that's a cop-out we felt it was very important not to shy away from it and to be very matter of fact about it. That's what's cool about the film. I love that. I know. Um, she said that in the damn 90s. An icon. Uh, let's take another quick break and we will come right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're back, and I wanted to talk about the story's conception. The Wachowskis, this is from an interview, I think shortly after the movie was made or released, but... um, They were just speaking to how there weren't enough good female parts in movies in Hollywood. So they decided to write two good female parts. Uh, And they also spoke to how they wanted to write a film noir with a woman as the protagonist and have a sexy woman, but have her not be evil. I'm paraphrasing this interview, but their (laughs) intention with this movie was like, let's subvert film noir tropes. Mm -hmm. Let's make a point to like meaningfully include women in the story as protagonists and like have them drive the narrative. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, studio executives read the script and they were like, um, we'd be interested in this. If Corky was a man, if you like change that character to be a man and the Wachowskis were like, no, that movie already exists a million times. So we're not interested in doing that. <laughs> right. Pass. And the rest is history. And the rest but, is um, history. It's the best. Yeah. So good. It brings me such joy. I've never, on every rewatch, I keep finding a new reason that it makes me so happy. Mm. Whether it be like the cinematography, the storytelling, the crazy camera on screen. But that really is just like a fantastic neo-noir. It's just a really like it's it's so obvious that their inspiration was Sin City, but they made something better than Sin City because Frank Miller's (laughs) brain isn't behind it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So many things I love. I love the scene where it's toward the end. Caesar is suggesting that Corky and her like lesbian feminine wiles corrupted Violet He's like, what did she do to you? And Violet is like, everything you couldn't, a.k.a. make her come. Come, yeah. Um, (laughs) And like, and treat her well. Oh, my God. The fact that she shakes his hand with Violet all over her fingers. 
I screamed the first time I saw that. Yeah. It's very special. Everything about this movie is very special. Um, I, I wanted to also talk about a little bit about how Caesar's character does kind of challenge a lot of, I mean, not quite as like film noir tropey, but in general, just like mafia masculinity and just like intense, like tank top masculinity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of vibes where we constantly see that I don't even doubt that Caesar cares about Violet. I do think he does, but he is so like trapped in so many things. He's like trapped within masculinity, but he's also trapped within his profession. He's trapped within his class. He's trapped in like all these different things that result in him mistreating her spectacularly and he doesn't I don't know I I feel I feel like it's we've talked about this a million times on this show where it's like patriarchy as one guy right (laughs) and then if you get I mean this is like most Marvel movies where you're like yeah patriarchy is one guy and if you kill the one guy or if you teach the one guy that he was wrong the whole time then everything's fixed (laughs) right right it's like how oh my god it's this is a separate gripe but it's like how Benedict Cumberbatch is wandering around the most recent Doctor Strange movie like America like (laughs) and I couldn't stop laughing. That is the name of a character in the movie, but it's also the worst metaphor I've ever heard in my life. He's like, we have to save America. I know it's canon, but it's silly. Anyways, (laughs) but in this case, there's a lot more, I think, like thought portrayed in how like Caesar is trying to, you know, enact his masculinity over Violet but she is not accepting it, which Mm -hmm. is huge in itself. And also like he is desperate. We see him desperate in so many places to the point where he sort of starts to dissociate from the situation and becomes violent because he's in such a desperate place. Mm. He's not the center of attention here by any means, nor should he be. But I thought Joey Pants did a good job at kind of demonstrating that desperate masculinity of like he just needs to have control over something or Mm -hmm. someone and so when he feels that Violet is the most viable person to be controlled he will treat her very badly oh yeah when he feels comfortable within his profession his masculinity his finances everything else he will treat her fine and I feel like that is something that you like you don't often see like shown this clearly in a character because this feels more like a guy that even though it's a Joey Pants character to its core (laughs) it also feels sort of like a guy that you would know where in some circumstances when he's comfortable he'll be the nicest guy in the world but when he's when there's a little bit of pressure put on him he becomes a fucking monster Mm -hmm. it's a compelling character to watch for all of those reasons and that like you're literally watching somebody get get that like squeeze of being in a prison of their own making like every horrible thing that happens to him he's asking who did it and the answer is him every single time (laughs) yeah like nothing happens to him is really done by it's him yeah like violet nudges him in that direction but it is always him it's because she knows he's gonna be a shithead and he plays into it that scene where he's like 
you made me shoot them. You made me shoot my mob boss and his <laughs> and Christopher Maloney. And she's like, I didn't make you do that at all. What she's are you like, talking? I did about? not make you shoot SVU, babe. <laughs> I didn't. Oh God. Yeah. Look, we don't have time for SVU today. That's another day. But <laughs> but shout out to my role as an extra in an episode of I think season ten of Law and Order SVU. Ew. Really? Yeah. Wait, you've I'll never sh- told that story on the show. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll figure out think. what episode it is, and then I will put it in the description of the episode because I I am, definitely want to see it. I do walk past the camera multiple times. Was this a Boston thing? Wait, I'm starting no, to remember. It was when I lived in no? New York. They were shooting okay, on a I'm very narrow street and there was a take where the like the sidewalk was so narrow that I accidentally like shoulder checked Mariska Hargitay when I was walking past her. For some reason Iconic. they didn't use that take. Rude. Um, but what? <laughs> but um Wait, yeah. that's do you remember not to play into Confaganda? What was the crime of the week? <laughs> Um, okay, it was about a woman who escapes from having been like trapped in a room, a la the movie Room. Sure. So then oh. she's like trying to retrace her steps with Christopher Maloney and Mariska Hargitay. I don't know the characters' names. And then it turns out she might be lying about this, but it's that was the premise of the episode. Anyway, does anyone, let's go get back to Bound because those were my 15 minutes of fame and they're up now. Well, please screenshot. We, I, I will take the lead on screenshotting if need be. So, yeah, I, I, I liked the, something I like to find out about the production of this movie is that it was financed through very like kind of tradition surprisingly traditional means for a mm. movie that spotlights a queer couple. Mm-hmm. It was financed by uh, Dino De Laurentiis, who is like a famous Italian filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, very, very famous, not necessarily the guy that you would expect to be financing a queer movie, definitely the guy you would expect to be financing a mafia movie. So maybe the Wachowskis <laughs> just uh, really gamed the system. And also spelling films, um, Aaron Spelling, like huge name in 80s and 90s TV production mm-hmm. that you also wouldn't expect such, uh, and with all due respect to spelling industries because i've consumed much of your content (laughs) but you know not known for the um not known for the for intellect or taste Mm -hmm. perhaps and so i thought it was cool that two such mainstream institutions financed such a subversive but also i mean like we've been saying this whole time such an like it makes sense that you would want to finance such an effective noir movie and this was also, I feel like the 90s and the early 2000s, there was kind of a good moment for neo-noir. And so yeah. I'm glad that this came when it did. You saw it in so many different mediums, but almost every single time it was. And here's the thing. I even like liked iterations of this. And as I grow older, I reexamine it. And I'm like, ouch, that hurts. Uh, where it almost always starts with like a dead girlfriend or a dead dame or like mm-hmm. some woman that we never meet that's dead before she's even like on screen right and in this case even the off-screen woman is like some asshole that's richer like (laughs) right she's not dead fucked me over Yep. Yeah, like we didn't need to fridge anyone for the plot to begin. We didn't need to like there there's just so many very obvious noir tropes that are not included in this movie and it's so well written. And also like I mean we don't 
often talk about like a ton of visual choices on this show, but it's also mm. just really cool to see the Wachowskis in their bag pre-Matrix where like oh, the yeah. action scenes, I don't care about any of the characters in the mafia shooting scenes, but they look fucking awesome Ooh. and it looks like a Wachowski's action scene and it's very exciting to see yeah and so like I don't know where I was uh <laughs> I don't know no you're right anyways I like when you see the close-up of the barrel of the gun and then you see the bullet come out question mark pretty mm. cool if you mm -hmm. ask me absolutely gorgeous <laughs> like it's so much of their background being graphic novels that they were like we think yeah. of things as like scene by scene and not point a to b they're like, we need to tell as much as we can in as little frame as possible, mm -hmm. which is obviously why like neo-noir attracts them because like it's just a marriage of like that in comic books. Mm -hmm. Right. And also this is the same cinematographer who would go on to do the Matrix uh, yeah. original trilogy. I don't know if they did. And Clueless. And Clueless. Bill Pope, how dare you, <laughs> sir? How wow. dare you be so versatile and yet so talented? Wow, <laughs> Clueless and Bound. No, wait, blank check, Clueless, Bound, back to back to back. What Incredible. a what what range? Incredible. Also did Bedazzled, a movie we did not like on this show. <laughs> Not his. Also did Spider-Man uh -huh. 2. Okay. And I'm oh, so back. he's worked with Alfred Molina. Yeah, wow. he did Spider-Man 2 and 3. Army of Darkness. Oh, so he works with Sam Raimi a lot then. Mm -hmm. wow. he, yes, he works with Sam Raimi. He did Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Wait, I'm becoming a, a full-on fan of this person. Bill Pope, is cool. okay. Bill Pope is up there with um, Roger Deakins. Oh, my God. Look, we famously don't know anything about cinematography. And I remember, like, I know who Roger Deakins is, though. Bill Cundy is the one I was trying to remember. He is dress oh. park, Halloween. Oh. Um, if anything's ever looked, like, gorgeous and interesting, it's either Dean Cundy or Bill Pope. Like, mm. you can just kind of look at something and know who it is because you're like, oh, this is sexy. Like, this is... <laughs> This is a monolithic image. Okay, it's either Dean Kendi or Bill Pope. Hell yeah. I love how Caitlin and I were both like, Roger Deakins! Because one <laughs> time one. we got fucking... We got, like, rightfully schooled by Hunter Harris in public in New York, and neither of us had any idea who Hunter Deakins was. Uh, or Hunter Deakins. <laughs> oh, my Deacons. God. Roger Deakins. Okay. Hunter Deakins. Maybe in the future. I don't know. Someday. He's very old. <laughs> Does anyone have any other thoughts about Bound? I think I would just uh, end with maybe my favorite quote from that interview that I beg everyone to read. It's Gina and Jennifer just, like, talking about some of the behind the scenes choices that they made but also they're kind of low-key like hitting on each other the entire time nice this was like i think like five years ago and it's a lot of like the interview being like gina continues to stare at jennifer not answering my question and then just says something like i loved playing with her boobs um <laughs> it's a fantastic interview we'll link it we'll link it in the description as well so jennifer would tell gina things like hey, when we're shooting this scene, can you put my hand here so my cellulite doesn't show? Also, when this happens, hold my boob up like this so it looks plumper and perkier. Mm. And so she basically, like, between takes, I guess they were just constantly, like, A, laughing, and B, using each other as human spanks. I love that. That's trust. That is beautiful <laughs> trust. And the fact that Susie Bright was also, like, involved in the choreographing of the scene, I just... 
I love it so much. And the fact that they were honest about it in interviews, oh my God, I would lie my ass off. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. They're they're also two of the hottest people on the planet. So, you know. Oh yeah. Big time. All with a grain of salt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that that's all I had too. I just what a what a fun movie. If you haven't seen it, it is streaming on Amazon Prime as we record this at least hopefully it stays streaming in a widely available way soon yeah but you know run don't walk it fucking rocks truly yeah the movie obviously does pass the Bechdel test uh, mostly between Corky and Violet but I would say one of my favorite exchanges that pass is when Corky goes into the bar toward the beginning and says how you doing Sue to sue the bartender and sue the bartender says like shit pause well now that we're all caught up can i buy you a drink (laughs) (laughs) and then they go on to talk about corky's job corky says i'm just here to get laid dot 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 by a woman because they're in a lesbian bar The, the whole exchange passes the test as does many if not most of the exchanges between Corky and Violet so (laughs) you love to see it you do love to see it and it makes you smile and it makes you horny and (laughs) what more can you ask for from a movie definitely passes the back to the test however what about the most important metric on the face of the fucking planet oh you mean our nipple scale in which we rate a movie zero to five nipples based on how it does when you look at it through an intersectional feminist lens. Is that what you're referring to, Jamie? Um, yes. Yeah, me it too. Was. Um, I, would, <laughs> I would give this movie, honestly, freaking f- five nipples. Like, is there a reason not to? It just I like mean, it's a pretty like it's it's a white movie. Uh, I think yeah. that uh, warrants saying. I'm pretty solidly five nipples. I feel right? like five nipples does work. <laughs> like I don't really. It yeah. It's kind of it kind of has to be fun. It kind of has to be. There's really no way around it. Right. It challenges so much. It subverts so much. It presents these characters in very nuanced ways the harmful tropes that we had been seeing in film up to that point and continue to see for years and years after that it's like let's instead have horny women be horny for each other in a very sex positive and non-exploitative way let's have them be driving the narrative let's have them be able to like do shit and have skills and fix things and plan things. And mm-hmm. I just love that like Corky, she's the planner. She's the, the thief. That's her skill set. Meanwhile, Violet is like a very good performer. She's good at acting. She's good at making people believe like the way well, and she, she also has like the critical knowledge. To, like she knows how the mafia works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She knows who's weak to what, who's insecure to what, like, Mm -hmm. who could she play like a fiddle because she's constantly at a front row seat to their most intimate behaviors. Right. Right. Like the plan wouldn't work without both of their specific skill sets. 
right. and without any like Mary Sue nonsense needing to take place. Like they, the two of them need to be working together with trust in order for the plan to work. And it's because they do that, that it works. And then they get to drive away in the truck. I love it. <sighs> There's a specific scene that like illustrates that. Like it's, it's Bill Pope and the Wachowskis being like, we are making it obvious that they are like equal contenders. And when they're getting ready for the heist and like Gina is putting the lock picking kit in her ear mm. and Jennifer Tilly's putting on lipstick and like mm-hmm. she's loading her gun and Jennifer Tilly is like zipping her dress up. Like they both have very specific tools that they're bringing to the table that they cannot survive without. Oh, and that my friends is show don't tell. That's a <sighs> screenwriting tip for everyone out there. I really, I really love it. Everyone's firing on. I just now knowing that Bill Pope was coming off of Clueless, I like to think that he was just cracking his knuckles before every shot and being like, not to worry. I just shot Clueless. I got this. If I had just shot Clueless, I would not shut up about it. That that's for damn sure. Um, And the Wachowski sisters are like, don't worry, we're about to direct the Matrix. And everyone's like, holy Holy shit. What are you talking about? Um, What is that? Yes. So I'm giving this movie five nipples. I can't wait to rewatch it. This movie should be in more like film school curriculums for all the fucking classes that are like, we're a neo, like this is a neo noir class. Like, why aren't you watching Bound? This movie rules five nipples and... I will give two to Corky, two to Violet, and one to Sue the bartender. I'm going to go five as well. I think that this movie is going to enter the elite Jamie tier of movies I would fall asleep to, which is the highest compliment in the entire world. It just means I feel safe with this movie. This movie makes me feel held. I want to be with this movie multiple times a month. And um, I want to know every single word of it subconsciously. Okay. <laughs> like, I do feel like it's, it sounds like an insult, but it's like no, the, the shows. I'm laughing because that's what I do. Right. Like, it's like shows and movies that you're like, they don't necessarily need to be like calm. You just need to feel safe with them. Yeah. I do this with the thing. I bound the thing. Like, oh. I have certain movies that just make me so happy or like army of darkness is another one that if I like throw it on and I'm home alone, I feel like I have a guardian angel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like you're like, if I woke up in the middle of the night and this was playing, if bound was on and I woke up, I'm okay. Yeah. You're like, okay, things can't be that bad. (laughs) Bound is on. So I, I really am so happy to have this movie um, in my life now. I think we've kind of said it all at this point. I'm very excited to hear our listeners' perspectives on this movie as well. Um, So five nipples, two to Violet, two to Corky, and let's say one to the truck. One to the the truck. truck, in a way, a character. Yeah. (laughs) Vanessa, what do you say? I say, uh, you know the difference between uh, me and you both are? No. I don't know either. (laughs) Oh, so romantic. So five nipples then across the board. Wow. What a rare accomplishment this is for a movie to get five nipples across the board on the Bechtel cast. So incredible. Shout out to Bound. Shout out to the Wachowski sisters. Shout out 
to us all. God bless us, everyone. What am I saying? It's very late where I am. <laughs> okay, Tiny Tim. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> she literally pulled out the Tiny Tim card at the end of the Bound episode. Oh, you never know what you're going to get you know? with Caitlin Durante. And that's, and that's that's how we keep things fresh in this relationship. <laughs> she could become <laughs> Tiny Tim at any moment. You're welcome. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming back for a fourth time. We'll have you back for a fifth time so that we can give you our special uh, fifth appearance uh, gift that we have yet to actually um, give to anyone, but it's a a smoking jacket. I'm so excited. Um, It's a a Letterman jacket. (laughs) Uh, But tell us where people can check out your stuff, follow you on social media, anything like that. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as N-E-S-S Guerrero. That's Ness Guerrero and S-N-E-S Guerrero on Instagram. I know that makes it harder for people to find me that they're not the same. And uh, that's on purpose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> keep like a steady, smaller trickle. Mm. Um, and then you can find me uh, every Wednesday on a show that I produce called Vibe Check on G4. And then I have a podcast called Kicking and Screaming that's been on hiatus for a little bit because I've honestly just been really, really tired. Uh, and it's yeah. coming back soon. And I've been missing talking about movies. So I'm very excited about it. You can find that under Kick Scream Pod. Yay. Love it. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you so much for coming back for this modern classic. Thank you for having me. You can find us in all the usual places. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Bechtelcast. You can follow us on our Patreon, aka Matreon, at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, where every month we cover, we cover, we cover. We, co- to, we are bound to cover. We, we are bound, we are bound and in fact tethered mm. to our Matreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, community and it's a gift of course where we cover two additional movies every single month this month our theme is bravely i know what you did last midsomar and you won't believe the two movies we chose <laughs> to cover so that's five bucks a month you get two bonus episodes a month and a backlog of over a hundred episodes mm-hmm. and you can uh, get merch at tpublic.com slash the bechtel cast imagine that and with that said um i've got the truck running should we get out of here the whole mafia is dead we should probably get out of here yeah let's yeah we go. gotta go zoom so bye 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 happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.